We are parents, teachers, and educators. And like you, we're passionate about restoring our culture for Christ. This is Veritas Vox, the voice of classical Christian education. Welcome again. I'm Marlon Detweiler, and you've joined us for Veritas Vox, the voice of classical Christian education. Today we have with us Dr. Bob Cannon. Bob is not here for the first time. In fact, I think we've done uh, two episodes with him previously that were a continuation type of thing. But Bob has joined us today because of uh, a field trip that he is the headmaster of our online school, Veritas Scholars Academy, uh, went on a field trip that he and uh, folks from the school, students, parents, and others, uh, went on this summer. But welcome, Bob. Uh, you, Thank you, Marlon. Uh, we've covered uh, lots of things previously, uh, including things about you personally. But I wonder if you have a couple more fun facts about you that would help people uh, know you better. Uh, I I don't know if you want to tell them that uh, you got your nose broken in jujitsu and that wasn't supposed to happen. But that was a funny fun fact. <laughs> that, that's one. That's one of them. Yeah. And I and uh, candidly, I don't like talking about myself much, but. But growing up, I loved water skiing. Really, uh, I didn't know. Yeah, that. yeah, I did. I, in fact, I I enjoyed slalom skiing. Uh, and then um, uh, during my high school days, I thought I would try uh, downhill snow skiing. That didn't go as well as my experiences in the water, so I didn't do too much of that. Yeah. Um, another little fun fact that I think some of our community knows already. Uh, is I have a Harley Davidson fat boy. It was uh, kind of a dream for about 20 plus years. And my wife said, no, 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 no motorcycles. <laughs> uh, and then when our son got a motorcycle, she said, maybe it's time for you to get a motorcycle so you can go riding with Help him. Keep so him I, safe. <laughs> I, I guess, yeah, I guess now we know where her affections really lie. <laughs> Uh, well, it doesn't surprise me that a mother would think in extremes to uh, protect a child. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. <laughs> yeah. Well, as I uh, mentioned, uh, you were on a recent trip to Israel. Uh, of course, we're recording this after October 7, 2023. Uh, what thoughts did you have? Uh, having been back on American soil for a few weeks, when you saw uh, the attack on Israel uh, by Hamas, the, Israel's response, and realizing the implications of what might have been the case had you still been there, or it happened earlier when you were there. Hmm. Yeah, I, uh, and <laughs> In some strange way, I enjoy being put in situations where there are problems that I get to somehow solve. But this would have been one situation that I would not have asked for. Uh, on October 7, as you mentioned, that morning, it was a Saturday morning, if I'm not mistaken, I received a message from a friend who actually happens to be one of our teachers uh, who grew up in the city of Jerusalem. And he sent word to me of what was happening. So that was actually my first indication. Oh, wow. And uh, before I even saw it in uh, any of our news news sources here. And to talk about it on some level, uh, uh, 
it can make me uh, emotional because uh, even when we were in Israel, that same teacher I went to visit, I paid a surprise visit to his mother and sister. Uh, they live in the Armenian quarter in Jerusalem. And so I made a point of it being in that area to go and spend a little time with them. And, and it was just a lot of fun. We, we took photos together and um, uh, a little bit of uh, just the interaction was, was really special. So when I received news of it, of course, now there's an even more personal connection. Right. Uh, which really puts some teeth on the fact that there are real people living there always feeling like there's a threat uh not just from hamas but just generally speaking um that part of the world uh is um is a little bit touch and go you you just don't know what of sorts yeah, you you don't know what's coming day to day. Did you feel the sense of it being a powder keg when you were there? I think that there's always tension. And yes, I did feel some of that tension. In fact, when we went to Bethlehem, um Bethlehem is controlled uh uh by uh uh well, Israel does not have control currently of Bethlehem. And and as such, going into Bethlehem, we were all maybe biting nails a little bit and and wondering, are we safe? And the bottom line was, yes, we were safe, relatively so, yeah. even to the point where our tour guide, who was an Israeli citizen, born and raised there, was willing, even though he wasn't technically supposed to be in Bethlehem, uh, because of his national status, he wasn't supposed to be there, but he wanted to go with us. And he said that as long as he's with us, American tourists in Bethlehem, he would be okay. He'd be fine. Interesting. Uh, because there are interests there, of course, economic and otherwise, where um, even if people groups are opposed to each other in the way that that is frequently the case there, they do try to keep the peace the best they can. Uh, because it it satisfies their own interests to do so. But uh, to your question of was it a powder keg, I, you know, there are times when I'm sure it feels that way um, because tensions are rising, but the tension is always there. There's always an underlying um, question of whether or not something might happen that's going to just set things off. Yeah. Well, obviously, things were set off shortly after. Uh, you and our people, uh, our students, our parents, and other uh, teachers and administrators that were with you left. Uh, and I'm sure there was some sense of uh, thanks to God that you weren't there when that happened. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it could have been really, really difficult. As you look at the difficulty and the circumstance, having had boots on the ground there, a few weeks prior, what's your sense of what's going on and what's needed? Hmm. What's needed, I'll answer that very quickly up front in a word. Christ is needed. Yeah. He's needed by all the people there. Um, uh, many of us in our culture here at Veritas would say that we stand with Israel 
and and we do. But let's not forget that whether you're an Israeli citizen or someone who regards himself as a Palestinian or whatever people group you may be, uh, we had dinner with um, uh, at a restaurant owned by a woman who is in the Druze, D-R-U-Z-E, culture. Uh, interesting culture. Learned a lot about it, even on the ground there while we were having dinner. And so there are there are other people groups there, is my point. And in talking with her and her people, in talking with even our bus driver, uh, who was uh, an Arab Muslim, in talking with our tour guide, who was an Israeli Jew, uh, all these people groups who are there, at the end of the day, we need to have God's eyes for these people. We can get so enmeshed in the details of this life and the politics and all that's swirling around us that we sometimes fail, I think, to take a step or two back and recognize that God's perspective is that he ultimately wants peace. In fact, Jerusalem is the only city in the scriptures for which we are told we ought to pray for the peace of. Yeah. Uh, and so uh, there are, there's a lot to say about Israel in general, Jerusalem specifically, and the special place that it holds in the scriptures. Even uh, prophetically, it's being regarded as a stumbling stone to the nations. This place is very special on the world map, and it's both sobering to have been there and to experience much of what we did on the ground. And it's also sobering to consider that the events that are happening right now there are having such a profound effect on all peoples who live in that land. Uh, well, you you lead into something I wanted to ask you about uh, for the sake of our listeners. I've had this conversation with you a little bit before. Talk to us about the trip. What were the best parts of the trip? What did you, <laughs> my understanding is this is your first time making mm -hmm. such a trip. How yeah, did, first time. How did it square with expectations? What were the expectations? There's a lot of questions out there. Pick them as you see fit. Yeah, yeah. Some people. <clears throat> I could get easily lost in answering this question, <laughs> uh, so pull me back as needed. But some people, I think most people would actually, having read the scriptures, wanting to go to Israel and to see the land and to have it come to life, as it were. A lot of people will will talk in those terms. Um, some of us, I think, went there with the intention of ex not only seeing some of the scriptures that we had read, especially in the Gospels, coming to life, the, you know, these are places where Jesus actually walked. Um, that's that's very significant. I don't need to get into that. But um, now having been there, I open up the scriptures and I read. And as I'm reading through a passage, I think, oh, I was there. <laughs> and then I can see it in my mind's eye in a way that I didn't before. Um, when I read about uh, Simon the Tanner and how Peter went to stay with him, and Peter went up on the rooftop, 
and he had the vision of the sheet coming down from heaven with creeping things in it. And then ultimately, men come to him and they take him back to Cornelius and and uh, his having had that impact on the Gentiles, or shall I say the Holy Spirit having had that impact on the Gentiles. <laughs> also recognizing that that place where Simon the Tanner's house was, it's in a place called Jaffa, or we know it as Joppa. And to see that house, <laughs> and we're better than 90% sure that the actual house we're looking at is where Simon the Tanner lived and where Peter stayed. And then you get to thinking about Jonah and how Joppa had a significance in the Jonah account as well in the Old Testament. And where did Jonah go? He went to the Gentiles. So you're there seeing this place and you're remembering the scriptures. And then you go back to reading about it and you can see it with your with your mind's eye. It's just very significant to be on the ground looking at a place both uh, after having read the account and understanding it, taking it in on some level, filling in some of the gaps, maybe seeing it face to face, and then afterwards reading about it and being able to look back on it. That's a really crazy good experience to have. Um, there were many, many uh, sites. In fact, I've got sitting next to me here, I have this, this map of Israel. And and you could point to many places on this map where I'd say, yeah, we were there. We were there. We were there, too. Yep. Uh, and and it's really it's pretty amazing to be able to say that. Um, a few more specifics uh, and then I'll I'll give the microphone back. Otherwise, you can just let me keep going. <laughs> You're first, good. Yeah, yeah. One of the first places we went was up north. In fact, that's about where we started the tour. We went north and uh, let's see. We were. We were in Banyas Springs, north. Israel has made it a national park. Okay. It was at Banyas Springs where we saw the ruins of a pagan site with a cave as a part of those ruins. We weren't permitted to go into the cave in part because the cave was potentially quite dangerous because it goes down into a chasm that's very deep. Okay. And so we're we're there, we're looking at these ruins, and then we turn to the story in the scriptures where Jesus says that the gates of hell will not prevail against the kingdom. Okay. And in being there, we're now able to imagine Jesus actually pointing at where that cave with the cavern is, because those who resided there and at one time had control of that land, this pagan peoples, they worshipped a god named Pan. That's where the name Banyas comes from. Yeah. So won't get into the mythological story of Pan, but, but that's the god that they worship. And it's right there that this cave and cavern are and they used to refer to it as the gates of hell. Oh, wow. So, so now it's it's like, well, wait a second. It seems to be metaphorical to the uninitiated, like me, not having ever been to Israel, has real practicality when it connects itself to place and time. 
Yeah. So when we first read the account, we think, okay, the gates of hell, and we create this image in our minds of what that might look like. And we all have our own ways of constructing that in our minds. But then you're there and you look at the cave and the cavern. And now when I read the gates of hell in scripture, that's what I see. Because it is quite likely that Jesus actually was, (laughs) while he's teaching, he's pointing at the gates of hell as the pagans would have understood it. Really just, it brings it to life. It puts teeth on it. Um, There were a couple other very significant, there were many, many, many significant instances there, Um, like floating in the Dead Sea. You really do float. The salt content is so high. Um, I would like that. I'm a big bone guy and I can't float. My wife laughs at me because she can. Uh, I just, I need more salt. (laughs) Sounds sounds like you and I both sink when we get into a swimming (laughs) pool. But the Dead Sea was amazing. Um, uh, there were there were there were two instances that I will make short mention of, but uh, but they could deserve a lot of time. One was when we went to a place called uh, the Church of the Sepulchre, and when we were there, uh, uh, Sam Andriatis, he was our um, uh, tour director or academic director, if you will, for the Veritas team. We had a tour guide who was with us the whole time in Israel, as I mentioned before, but Sam was the academic director. And between the two of them, uh, the Israeli tour director was talking about all things historical and Sam was making the fantastic spiritual connections to all these details. So that was a wonderful interplay between the two of them. Sam and I were standing in line and we waited in line for a good while to get to what was arguably, and I asked Sam at one point, what's the likelihood, Sam? Because I know how tourism works, but what's the likelihood that this is actually the site? And and he, with a with an assuring nod, said, we're about 95% sure that this actually is the site. And what I'm talking about is where the cross would have been sunk into bedrock where Christ was crucified. Oh, wow. And there was an altar at that particular site with a lot of a lot of detail around it. Um, But the real significance of it was getting to that altar, getting down on your knees, reaching through a hole in the ground where you could reach down and about up to my elbow. So 18 inches or so, you could actually touch the rock and that was arguably the actual bedrock where the event happened the the cross would have rested Mm -hmm. and then you walk around downstairs get down into the lower kind of the belly of that uh that facility and you can see the they have it all glassed off the entirety of that that rock from down below that was a um that was an emotional moment. I'll bet. What was just as, if not more emotional for me personally, um, I, I felt perhaps the greatest emotion in the trip, um, sitting on a bench just outside a, uh, it was a short fence. I could have hopped it really easily, but I didn't. Um, bad example to the kids. Uh, there was a fence around 
the actual Garden of Gethsemane. And that was very moving for me to just sit quietly and to reflect on what was happening that night in the garden uh, as the Lord was praying and asking, Father, is there any other way? And three times, no, son, <laughs> this is the only way to accomplish this. Um, and where he sweat great drops of blood. So that was a remarkable uh, moment, even just just being there uh, and and seeing the olive trees, for example, that some of them had been there for, well, many of them, they can't measure how old they are because they don't ring up like a lot of trees do. Oh, interesting. Uh, and so they just they just grow and they grow and they grow. And so some of them were many hundreds of years old, no doubt. How did the trip change you? How did it change the students and their parents and others that were with with you on the trip? How would you say uh, you all came back different? Hmm. Wow, that's that's probably a question that would be answered in a little bit of a different way by any one of those who sure. traveled with us. Yeah. Uh, I've heard or read an account or two from people who went and um uh, there are there are students who have said that the trip was life-changing uh it was it was a matter of their already having believed they've already put their trust in the lord but then going to the land and walking in those places where Jesus and disciples and others from the Old Testament, um, all kinds of people that you read about, you realize that that this is a very real place. These were very real people, sometimes not the way that you envision them in your mind, a little bit like the gates of hell. You have a certain picture in your mind, you see it for real, and you're like, oh, I didn't have that quite right, need, did I? I need to re, uh, reset that. Mm -hmm. Even going into um, Israeli sites like museums and archaeological sites and seeing the way that people's pictures are portrayed. Um, <clears throat> there was one instance of our having gone into a, um, it was a museum-like site. I don't know that they actually called it a museum. but. Um, it was it was a case of archaeologists finding a 2000 year old fishing boat or shall i say what was left of it right but it was a pretty amazing recovery of a boat but when they when they first found it they would um of course very gently because they're archaeologists but they they would touch uh the wood of the boat and it would so easily disintegrate because it's so old um, but it had been preserved because it was buried and it's a very moist area uh, because it's right by the sea of galilee and uh long story short <laughs> you know great stuff that you get at home depot you know you fill in cracks for your windows and doors and stuff well, it wasn't exactly great stuff, but it was essentially great stuff that they got this idea that they were just going to spray the whole thing down with great stuff. And so they did. And then they floated it across the Sea of Galilee. So you've got, you know, like the famous great stuff fishing boat. 
It's floating across the Sea of Galilee. It makes it to the other shore. They very carefully bring it up and they basically build a museum site around it. It's all indoors. They've got metal uh, arms holding each of the, um, I, I think of them as joists. That's probably not what they're called, but um, you know, you've got this big, big boat that occasionally they'll spray it down and there it is. It's it's in this place and you go into the place and you watch a movie about the boat and they show you how they got it there. And and you're looking at it and you're like, that's 2000 years old. There were men like Peter and James and John and Andrew. There were men actually in a boat just like that one. Not like, you know, you see in kids uh, picture books, pictures of boats and things again. No, that's what it looked like. That's what a boat that men who were fishing looked like. Not a very big boat, but you know, bigger than bigger than your rowboat, of course. But uh, to imagine that they were actually in a boat just like that when Jesus said, uh, "You know, cast your nets on the other side," you know, and they're like, "Well, we have, we've been fishing all night." That's the kind of boat That's in which. It was. Yeah, yeah. That's really neat. Well, we uh, this field trip was one that we'd worked on for several years. It first got postponed. COVID, and, and there were various circumstances that caused us to take three years to finally do it. But it's been our routine to do currently, based on our current size of Veritas, one field trip and one mission trip each year. We've done uh, a number of different types of trips. Uh, talk to us a minute about what we're trying to accomplish with these field trips and mission trips and where we might be uh, headed with the whole idea and even trips in future years. Hmm. Yeah, I'll start with this. And I hope the, I hope the comment doesn't sound at all provocative to some, but we don't want for our students to be worldly, but we want our students to be worldly. <laughs> we want them world, to have world wise not world yes. maybe yeah yeah um it's it's an exciting thing to us to me to think about our students being uh wise about the world yeah. and of course reading uh accounts that are historical or even contemporary in nature is one way to absorb what's outside of yourself, to absorb things of the world or things about the world, <clears throat> but to actually encounter something or experience something with your hands, with your feet, with your eyes, um, that takes it to a whole new level. So um, we've been as a school so far, we've been to Italy and Greece, uh, we had a Reformation tour for the 500-year anniversary of the Reformation when uh, Luther posted his 95 theses to the Castle Church door in Wittenberg. That would have been 2017. That's right, exactly. Um, yeah, in fact, we just celebrated Reformation Day, didn't we, on October 31. Some people call it Halloween, but... <laughs> <laughs> uh, and we've been to... Um, in that tour, Germany, Switzerland, and France. Uh, we've been to the British Isles, so Wales, Ireland, England. Um, 
we, of course, we're talking about Israel. Uh, this was this was in some way a very different and a and a special kind of trip uh, from a spiritual perspective. But but don't get me wrong. When we were um, when we were in Germany, and we visited sites where reformers, not just Luther but others, either were or resided, uh, that too becomes a uh, a spiritual experience of sorts. Um, so the history the spirituality, the culture, even enjoying the foods of these various places. Uh, I didn't mention yet that we are going to Italy and Greece again. Uh, other parts of Italy and Greece, in fact, compared with the first tour that we did. But all of these tours are, in fact, well connected, I think, by design with what our students encounter in their learning with our academy especially when you think about the great books of western civilization our omnibus curriculum that veritas designed um it's there that you read and then you go to a place like italy or a place like germany and and you encounter the things that you read about and just like going to israel and encountering the things that you read about in the scriptures you go wow this is real. This really did happen. And it's not that you didn't believe it before, but now it's it's uh it's really solidified in your mind. Yeah. Yeah, we uh we've run out of time. There are a lot of places that we could go with this conversation, but I hope it's whet the appetite of the people that are uh with us today listening and watching uh to consider the value of these field trips. We didn't talk much about mission trips which also can be to interesting places and uh, really expand the uh, uh, understanding of God's world to the students. Uh, so thank you for doing that. Thank you for being here. Thank you for what you do. I sure enjoy working with you. I appreciate um, uh, our friendship and uh, I appreciate uh, the heart that you have uh, for the uh, thousands and thousands of students uh, that come under your careful watch. Folks, you have joined us for Veritas Vox, the voice of classical Christian education. Thank you. And Bob, thank you. Thank you, Marlon. Take care.